0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Sam Dolbell, the co-founder and CEO of Sync, a SaaS product that helps companies manage their mobile workforce by taking care of timesheets, location tracking, staff scheduling, and job tracking. In 2017, Sam was running a small business in New Zealand. He had 10 employees and found himself spending several hours every week managing payroll. He reached out to a friend and asked him if he could help him create a spreadsheet that might help him save some time and make dealing with payroll easier. Sam's friend suggested that they build an app, and that sounded like a great idea. The only trouble was that his friend, who was a mechanical engineer, didn't know how to code either. And at that time, his friend was actually filming a documentary in Africa, but he had some time. So believe it or not, he started learning to code while living in a tent in Tanzania. A couple of months later, the app was ready and Sam was using it in his business. And once they realized the value of the app, they decided to join forces, launch a company and start selling this as a product. In this interview, we talk about the lessons Sam and his co-founder, whose name is also Sam, learned from starting out with a free product, building a large user base, and then charging. We also talk about how they developed and refined a freemium pricing model, and how they figured out which features to build that customers were willing to pay more for. And we also talk about why they joined an accelerator in Bahrain, and eventually relocated their company there. And surprisingly how that might actually be a great location for your SaaS business. Today, Sync has over 1,000 paying customers, and the founder's journey is a really interesting story. So I hope you uh, enjoy it. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? over to sasclub.io slash newsletter and join over 4,000 other SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already using these insights to grow their businesses. Subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today and get the support you need to keep moving forward on your SaaS journey. Sam, welcome to the show. Oh my, pleasure to be here. So do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you?
1: Yeah, look, I'm not a huge quote guy, but there's one thing that stuck with us since we began this journey, and that was Steve Blank's mantra about um, getting out of the building and talking to customers, and the whole um, customer discovery thing driving product development. And while most of our users are in the United States, and I can't always be there myself, sometimes I have to do that uh, virtually instead of physically. It's really driven the, the product to where it is today. So tell us about Sync. What does the product do? Who's it for,
0: and what's the main problem that you're helping to solve?
1: Well, Sync is a multi-platform SaaS product that helps construction companies gather the critical labor data from the worksite and bring it back into the office. And this data is then used to run payroll very accurately, and more importantly, show detailed insight into job profitability at both the project level and also the cost code level. Now the thing is about um, construction companies is labor is often the biggest variable in their business, and we give companies the insight they need to bid competitively, and ultimately drive profitability in their business.
0: Got it. Okay, so let's set the scene here and help just the listeners understand, like how your business is set up because it's a pretty unique situation that you have. You're targeting. Customers primarily in North America. You and your co-founder are originally from New Zealand. As you told me earlier, you've kind of been building this business across nine different countries or working from nine different countries. And now you guys are based in Bahrain.
1: That's correct. So yeah, it's been a, a bit of a windy journey to get here. Originally, what happened is I was running a company in New Zealand and I had a real problem with payroll. So, uh, you know, at the point um, when we decided to do this, I had about 10 employees and we used to pay them weekly and I used to spend probably half a day every week messing around with with payroll, working out how many hours everyone had worked, making sure that everything was accurate, you know, what it's like for employees. Everyone's trying to get one up on the boss. And I actually reached out to my sort of longtime associate, Sam Matthews, to initially see if he could build me something, you know, try and work together some different systems, maybe something in Excel that could just reduce the amount of time I was spending doing this. And, um, you know, he took a look at it and he said, why don't we build an app? So basically he Taught himself how to do that. And within a few months, we had a very basic version and we were using it inside the company. And we had this really sort of tight feedback loop. And once we started to see how much value it was bringing us, we decided to turn it into a startup.
0: And, and so like you said he taught himself so it was he was a developer but it was he learned the
1: kind of the app development piece or he just he kind of hadn't coded before not at all so Sam's actually a mechanical engineer by trade and he's been my sort of right-hand man throughout a, a number of different businesses and our whole thing is like if we see something we'll just teach ourselves how to do it so we taught ourselves SEO through these businesses and how to build websites and at the time he was actually filming a documentary in Africa <laughs> and he taught Taught himself how to code inside a tent in Tanzania. You're kidding me! <laughs> Funnily enough, seriously, yeah, yeah. So it's a really, really unique, uh, unique story. Um, and he, he quickly whipped up a very basic. Chat app following some tutorials, and you know you said oh this this stuff isn't too hard, so we started having all these grandiose ideas about everything we'd want to throw at this product um obviously, like reality kicked in after some time, we realized how complicated everything was, but you know we got we got the first product out there inside my business, and it was, it was really great because we didn't have any pressure from customers, and we were able to we were able to deal with bugs very quickly
0: so sync is a mobile app, so you have an iOS version, an Android version, and then there's a web app as well and you're doing six figures in ARR and how many customers do you have?
1: We're knocking on the door of a thousand paying customers, but we have many more free customers, so we had there's a free version of the application um and that's that's been our business model so far,
0: okay, yeah, I want to talk about that in a little while. So when did you guys launch this business?
1: Well, we, like I say, about about the start of 2017 is when we decided to build it for my own company. And we really turned it into a startup probably about June of 2017, when we released it on the App Store and the Play Store. And what we did is we just, we wanted to get as much feedback as possible from people because we had our own ideas and what we'd known from our own businesses, but we wanted to know what what everyone wanted in terms of features. And the idea was if we just made it free, we'd get more users in the door. And that just worked. We we got one guy downloaded it, and then then another one, and they they started to get so much value from it that they just spread it amongst their friends. So was it a freemium business model or, or just free? That was just straight. It was it free? There was there was. We didn't get around. We didn't get around to building a payment system till about June of two thousand eighteen. So up until that point, it was just free. As many users as you had. And all we expected in return was for you to, you know, take a phone call every now and then and, and talk to us about the product.
0: So was that the main way that you were
1: validating the idea? I mean, we'd already validated inside the business and we knew we knew there was a big need for it. And I had actually been a customer of some of our competitors in my last business. But what I'd learned from that was there was nothing on the mark in the market that really offered Very simple to use powerful software. It was either too simple and didn't have the features you need, or it was just overcomplicated. And the thing is, with a piece of software like this, like, yeah, the customer is the business owner or, or one of the business administrators, but the real users are the employees. And if you don't get buy in from the employees, the whole thing falls apart. And I knew from experience, you know, hiring very low level, low skilled employees that you know, you can implement a system like this. And if you have one or two guys who don't quite get how to use it and don't do it properly, the whole thing sort of falls apart.
0: Okay. Got it. So making the product available for free was a great way to spread the word, find users, get feedback, further validate the idea. But, It also turned out to be something that caused you
1: some problems later on. I wouldn't say problems. I mean, the the free users did us a lot of favors. It it helped us gain some traction inside the app stores with the usage velocity. Um, But what what we found is that we just started to really over-optimize for free users with the idea that eventually... They'll become bigger or they'll see the value in additional features and upgrade. But we just found like after a while that, you know, if, if someone comes in and uses something like this for free, they really just expect to continue to use it for free. So that was the problem we had. And, and the other thing about gathering too much customer feedback from people who do not expect to pay for the product, you're optimizing for the wrong sort of customer. So we didn't make any really bad development decisions, but we had to filter out a lot of feature requests that weren't really going to help us in the long run. So once we started getting paying customers, that's when we started to get really useful product information.
0: Okay. And so you guys focus on the construction industry, but when you made the product, you just put it in the app stores. Presumably, you were getting people from all different kinds of industries using the product.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So the thing is, like, we we always set out like the end goal was always to build something that was the very best in job costing. So not only knowing how many hours your team is working, but what particular jobs they're working on and what aspects inside those jobs so they're known as cost codes but they're essentially jobs within jobs so if you look at a construction company you might have you know three or four different jobs on the go you might have some guys on one job but you want to know what job within that job they're doing like they might have spent a lot of time framing and you want to be able to spit out those reports at the end of the week and have that visibility but to do that we had to get the time and attendance piece right It sounds simple, but it ended up being very complicated to do over multiple devices and time zones. But we had to get the time and attendance. But so we were essentially just marketing to general blue collar companies who have an hourly workforce and we ended up with probably if we looked at it today we probably have about 60 percent of our user base are construction companies maybe another 10 percent are cleaning companies and the rest are just every vertical that you could imagine because anyone who has an hourly workforce can find value in the time and attendance but the thing is about time and attendance also is if you look in the app store there's a lot of a lot of very simple applications that on the surface essentially do the same thing. And that's what affects the, the willingness to pay.
0: So how do you differentiate yourself if people are, you know, they have an abundance of choice in an app store and a lot of those products are free?
1: Yeah, so that that's a problem. Well, it's not a problem. It's something that we were dealing with for the, for the last part of last year. Building the job costing side of the company is how we differentiate ourselves, but it Turns out that that was more work than everything we'd done up until that point. So we went through this period in the last six months of last year. We were just, the whole team was working on job costing. And we just got in, we couldn't really change the messaging because the new features weren't there. And we just really just sort of dug our heads in and just got the new features out as quick as possible. And we launched them. I think on the twenty fourth, I think we were still launching it on Christmas Day. Like no one had a day off on Christmas Day, and now we are essentially going to market with it. A... Sound like Scrooge? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, luckily being in Bahrain, it wasn't so much of a problem for the for the workforce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and, and then we just wanted to start the year basically going to market for the first time with the product that we set out to build two and a half years ago. So,
0: when did you start charging for the product? And tell me about like how you sort of have transitioned from free to paying and and what if any issues that's that's caused
1: Well we started off like I say about halfway through twenty eighteen and we just we put a paid tear on for customers who had more than five users. And even up until now, like we're rethinking this at the moment, but up until the point that we are recording this podcast, we give the product away on, on a limited capacity to companies who have five users or less. So the idea initially was these companies will get bigger and become paid, which you know turns out not to be, maybe we're a little bit optimistic on that one. But so what about paying customers in this industry? They're not high growth companies and, and they, you know, most of them don't want to be growth companies. They're typically very small operators who, you know, they might be a, it's like a handyman business. You, you'll have, you know, the owner still goes out on the job. They still on the tools, you know, we have two or three helpers. It's not the sort of thing that's going to get really large. And look, some, some people have, we've had guys who've started off on the free tier and, and, and have got a hundred employees now, but it's not so common.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So this, this kind of idea of we're going to have this free plan and these companies and customers are going to grow and then they're going to start paying us didn't sort of pan out as you sort of understood what was going on with what type of customers you had. So today it's like if you have five or more than five users or employees, then you're paying to
1: use the product correct you have to pay if you, if you have if you have over 5 users you have no choice but to pay or at least go on to a free trial of one of the paid plans
0: and tell me a little bit about your pricing like how did you kind of figure out like if we look at the pricing plan today it starts from 14.99 a month is that that's not per user so that's if you've
1: got so that that's based that's per company so that that's up to 7 employees Wow, that's really cheap we're too cheap at the moment. See, the the thing is, we had to get the job costing side of things finished, and make sure it was stable and people were happy with it. And the idea is now we will begin to gradually put that price up. The problem was when we were just a time and attendance application. There, you know, there's some there's some really great companies out there who are doing it really well who charge more than us. But we just felt that like, you know, we weren't there on a feature to feature basis and we just felt a bit uncomfortable charging the same as what a much more established company would that was the idea but now now that we have these features that not a lot of companies do and in, in some aspects we are doing better we can happily put that price up but we just want to do it we just want to do it gradually how
0: did you figure out what were the most important features that you should build or invest your your time and money in was this based on you know you as the founders and and the knowledge of of these types of businesses or were you spending a lot of time talking to customers and and trying to figure out what more they needed
1: So we had our own hypothesis based on the companies that we'd Run, and we really validated that by spending a lot of time talking to users now during the first eighteen months when it was just my business partner and I he was writing all the code, so my main job was talking to the customers, and I will spend up to three or four hours a day just on the phone calling up the users and just just talking about what they want and how they 're using the product, what they would like to see. And if we get enough interest in a certain feature, then we will prioritize it. And so
0: what were you hearing about the sort of the, what was it, the costing?
1: Yeah, the job costing was something that we get asked for multiple times a day and have been for the last sort of 18 months. It was the by far the highest requested feature. And in a lot of ways, it was it was the difference between using us or not. Like we'd have people come in and, you know, they'd love the product, but they'd say, you know, we need to do job costing and we just couldn't help them. So they would leave, but it was by far the most requested. And I had a lot of insight into that from my previous business. I had this exact same problem because you almost to do proper job costing. You almost need a full-time person doing it. You almost need a full-time admin person associating those hours to specific jobs and not Every small business could afford something like that, but essentially everyone needs it because in these industries, like how these companies grow is they just take on as many jobs as they possibly can and essentially work out how to do them when they roll around. And in these blue collar industries, mostly in the construction field, how you solve a lot of these problems when you take on too much work is throwing extra labor at it. And it can really get out of hand because in the moment you're just trying to keep the customers happy and do a great job, but at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter, and you're wondering you know where all the profit went, you wish that you had been accurately costing those jobs and working out where that labor component was going
0: okay, so tell me about like what have you done to like how did you go from zero to close to a thousand customers like what's been the main driver?
1: Well, what people like about it is it's complicated software done in a very intuitive, easy to use way, and that, as you'll know and as your listeners will know, is actually a really hard thing to get right. We've just been very focused on making sure that you know any level of employee could pick up the application and just intuitively know how to use it. We have very little onboarding. I mean, there's obviously a a whole range of support documentation, but, you know, most people would just be able to pick it up and use it. We just don't want to make the software too complicated, and that's the number one bit of feedback that we get from our customers. And the other thing is that we've got a real passion for making very transparent, fair software for employees because the thing is when you start getting into these sort of things, there's a lot of stuff out there can, that can make it very easy for sort of bad actor employees to manipulate staff hours without them knowing. When everything lives in the cloud and no one has visibility into their hours and no one knows whether the boss is, has trimmed a few hours off your, your paycheck every week. So we make sure that every change in the system is um, communicated to both parties, which we get a lot of pushback from customers on, but you know those aren't the sort of customers that we want.
0: Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M and A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io/bupos. That's sasclub.io/boopos. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com. So, if I'm an em- employer and I'm using the app, and you know, I kind of look at the hours that my employees have worked, and I, for whatever reason, I decide I'm going to change that number they get notified
1: correct any editor is is notified and the other thing is that it's a really touchy subject with employees is the whole privacy thing because we track locations now some applications will force employees to have location permissions switched on before they can clock in for work that's something that we fundamentally disagree with and it's something that we haven't done like we leave the location tracking aspect of sync is turned off by default for everyone and they have to turn it on for it to start working
0: okay but like where did these customers come from was this basically you know you marketing to the free users you already had and finding customers there or were you doing different types of outreach or marketing to find paying customers
1: no it was purely like in the beginning it was purely companies that were over five and over five users there was there were no additional features. The only difference between being free and being paid was having over five users.
0: Okay, and so once you added the ability to pay for the product a year later, what did you do? You just
1: you just sent an email out to your users to let them know that. We didn't even do that. We just turned it on and we we got our first paying customer. Um, we were very happy, and they just um, we just had a steady trickle since then. We've only just started marketing to our free user base on the second week of February, and uh, we wanted to wait till everyone was back after christmas so we just we we've really just been focused solely on building a great product and not so much on the on the growth side and that's that's essentially changed you know about a month ago.
0: okay, so you started out as a free product, completely free there wasn't even a way to pay then you added the payment component to that, and it effectively became a freemium business model and the growth that we're talking about here, the close to a thousand customers has all been organic through people finding the product through one of the app stores or potentially Google. And then some of them signing up for a paid plan.
1: Yeah, I couldn't tell you exactly how many people come in through the app stores, but a great deal of them is just really organic word of mouth. We we don't have any official referral system inside of the product, but people just, we get comments, and you can read all the, all the reviews on the Play Store. But, you know, like in the early days, we were getting comments like, you know, where has this been my whole life? You know, it's just saved me so much time, so much money, and they just naturally tell their other friends who are running small businesses. I believe that's been our biggest driver. So tell me a little bit about, like,
0: Talking to customers three, four hours a day, I don't hear many people doing that. So and also I, I I mean I'm curious, like how do you kind of set up the conversation with customers? Like a lot of the times when you use a product and you have somebody contacting you or wanting to get you on the phone, it's usually because they want to figure out how they can upsell you something else. Sure.
1: I know what you mean. See, the thing is I love small businesses. I love talking about it. I love hearing about how businesses are going. So I'll, you know, I'll typically like, we usually start with, you know, they might start with a support request and I may, like, sometimes I'll jump on the live chat and if I see an interesting support request, then I'll um, ask them if they have, if they have time for a quick chat and I'll just talk about how they're using the product. I like obviously we'd love to get them on the paid tiers and, Quite often we manage to do that on the phone call, but it's certainly not the reason for the call. And I think I make that pretty clear at the beginning of the conversation so people feel a bit more comfortable and they really appreciate it as well.
0: So you, are you reaching out to people who are just use on the free plan or are you also having these conversations with people who are already customers and paying for the product?
1: Both, both. We get more valuable insight out of the paying customers. So we're really interested, like if I see a a company who's got, you know, they've got 30 employees and they're heavily using the product, I really want to find out what they like about it, what they'd like to see improved. And we will put a lot of weight into those sort of phone calls in terms of what we build next and how we prioritize things, because they're our ideal customer.
0: Yeah. and, And presumably if someone's paying for the product, they're more engaged, they're clearly getting some value from it. and. And I think in for most cases, I think if a paying customer is giving you feedback, that has more weighting than somebody who's using the product for free. Yes. It's interesting. A lot of the times the ones the people who are using the product for free seem to be the most vocal about all the things they need.
1: They certainly have the most support requests, I can tell you that. <laughs> Quite often it's the guys who are paying us the most that you never hear from.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I can see that. that so have you ever thought about like you know not having a free plan like moving away from the freemium model and maybe just making a you know giving people a trial and then after that they they have to
1: sign up and pay that is the direction that we are now going in because we're now targeting construction companies and you know not large construction companies but not two or three person operations and we give so much value that you know it's 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 more than fair to pay and we can charge a lot more than what we're charging at the moment so the way we look at it is we've just been in product mode for all this time now we're in growth mode and we're targeting a different sort of customer and we will gradually move away from the free version and maybe just try to put people into it into a um, free trial
0: yeah you know i think a good lesson here for people listening who maybe are starting out who are trying to figure out their pricing is that don't overthink it too much when you start out because your pricing on launch is never going to be perfect and it's going to continue to evolve. And even, you know, companies doing hundreds of millions of dollars a year are still continuously testing their pricing and optimizing and and figuring out how to, how to kind of reconfigure that. So in many ways, I think, you know, you guys are a good example of that where it's like, yeah, well we launched and we didn't even, we didn't
1: worry, worry about pricing because we didn't have any, pricing or, you know, you can pay for the product. Correct. It's just important, I think, just to charge something. I don't think it matters what that price point is, because as you say, it's going to change as the company evolves. But just having that validation that people will put in a credit card and they get that much value out of it has is, is got to be worth something in those early days.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's that's in many ways is the key is like, rather than trying to figure out what is my perfect pricing, figure out, is there a, you know, reasonable number? or, you know, that you could ask people to pay. And, you know, generally I sort of say, it's like, hey, whatever your price is, are you able to either demonstrate or or kind of feel good that, you know, the value that you're delivering your customers on that price is, you know, 3X, 5X, whatever they're paying. And that's probably a good enough place to start your pricing and get out there. So let's talk about Bahrain how did you guys end up there and why have you decided to you set up that country as a base for your SaaS business when all your customers
1: are in North America it's a funny story so when when it was just sam and i working on this and we were doing it remotely all around the world it, it's quite a lonely thing to do you know like we and we got, sort of got fixated on the idea that we needed to join an accelerator and we were both in Hong Kong at the time, and we went to a um, expo there, and we had a booth, and we essentially wrote on our sign that we were looking for an accelerator. And from that, we ended up meeting, well, we ended up meeting a few that were interested in us. But we came across a, a booth for startup Bahrain, and you know, neither of us could pinpoint Bahrain on the map, and it just seemed like such a crazy place to base a software company that's targeting the us but when we started to look into it there were all these government subsidies available to help small businesses here and we were very quickly put on to a government agency here called tamkeen it's essentially the the labor fund and they will subsidize 50 percent of the salaries of your local employees and all sorts of other things like we you know, we ended up setting everyone up with um, fully specced IMAX, and they picked up half the price of the purchase costs. And what that enabled us to do in those early days when we had very little MRR and some very modest funding was just do a lot with a, a small amount of money and just be really scrappy. So we got put in touch with an accelerator here called Flat6 Labs, who is an experienced accelerator operating all over the MENA region, and they are actually funded by that same program, Tamkeen, and they made a, a moderate investment in us for an equity position and put us through their program. And through that program, we ended up raising a pre-seed financing round of around 300000 through some very good investors called the Dubai Angel Network over there in Dubai. So it ended up being really really worthwhile and we and we love being here The downside is the time zone difference, so I work very funny hours. We essentially start work at about one in the afternoon and and work until the early hours of the morning, but it's quite good because we do spend a lot of time in the states, so we're we're accustomed to the time zone, and there's no jet lag going between the um the two regions
0: so you get some financial incentives from the government there if you're hiring local people Mm -hmm. what's the talent market like out there and how easy or hard has it been to find
1: the kinds of people you need we haven't had any trouble i mean we we've found um five very good team members here but what what we did is we, we pay a little bit more than what most technology companies would here and the fact that we're working with um technology that's really exciting to these guys they're very happy to do it so we sort of get the pick of the bunch I don't know if you'd be able to scale a very large development team here and we wouldn't want to. Like our plan is to have distributed teams and we'd probably bring this team up to maybe eight or nine people and that would be about all that we would want here.
0: Okay, and so in terms of setup, you're set up as a Delaware C-Corp. Mm-hmm. Does it complicate things by, you know, having that set up, being in Bahrain, having customers in America? Has there been any kind of, challenges with that kind of setup or is is it easier than it sounds
1: it, it it sounds so complicated but like we've just done it i mean we we had to set up another company here in the kingdom to access these benefits and it's a little bit of a complicated process to do that but we we haven't found any complications i mean we set up the delaware company with um, with Clerky, and and that was reasonably easy our investors invest into that company you know we don't have any trouble sort of visa wise in in the us Yeah, it sounds very complicated and messy, but it it really hasn't been.
0: So you were able to raise some some funding to help with the business. And I know you used most or a big chunk of that money to hire developers. Talk us through that a little bit, because I think there's an interesting lesson there about hiring and pace of hiring and and kind of what you guys have learned from your experience.
1: Yeah, so we we were a little naive in the sense, like we were staring down the barrel of 40 plus feature requests that people were requesting quite often. And initially, we just thought that we need to throw more developers at it. So we quickly hired four or five developers right off the bat. And my co-founder, Sam, who can essentially just code as fast as he can type, was getting things out the door really quickly. But when he had to move to that sort of managerial role, his output was just reduced so drastically. And our conversations went from purely discussing products to discussing HR issues and dealing with paperwork. And in hindsight, we probably would have done that a little slower and would have probably got more output. In that time frame, but I mean, we're in a good position now because we have a fully trained team who can all work independently. But there was certainly a period last year where we felt like we were working a lot harder than we were before and producing a lot less in terms of um, product development.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great lesson there. And just hiring more people quickly doesn't always equate to innovating and shipping more features faster and as you guys have learned it, it can actually slow you down so be careful what you wish for
1: it would have come from my experience running these blue collar businesses because in a company like that you can really just throw more people at it but it's just doing what we're doing now is just so much more complex. but it's all worked out quite well and now we have here yeah, we have like i say we've got this fully trained team and we are Pumping out features very quickly. Good stuff.
0: Okay, we should wrap up and get on to the lightning round. So, you're a listener to the show anyway, so you know the drill. I'm not going to explain it to you. (laughs) Are you ready to go? Yep. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received?
1: The best growth hack is just building a more compelling product. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? well i've taken all my book recommendations from your show so i'm going to go a little in a little different direction here and recommend a book called liver rescue by a guy who calls himself the medical medium. Now, I was facing a problem when we started doing this business of uh, essentially like brain fog, and I thought it was a stress thing. But once I started a daily routine of drinking celery juice, (laughs) it cleared that all up, and I, I couldn't recommend that book enough for productivity liver rescue by the medical medium liver rescue and if i could give your listeners two tips it would be get used to drinking celery juice first thing in the morning and drink what he calls a heavy metal detox smoothie i mean it's just done wonders for the for the uh, mental well-being i hate celery but maybe i need to have an open mind (laughs) the trick is to hold your breath and just get it down as quick as possible
0: (laughs) uh what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder
1: in our case, it's pride. If failure is not an option, you're going to weather the storm a lot better. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Dot journaling. So I, I keep a journal and that's how I find I get more tasks done throughout the day. What's that called? Dot journaling. So it, some people call it bullet journaling. It's just a system of running a journal and i, I found it um, quite rewarding. Oh, and this is just paper-based is... Yeah. Yeah. Just a a paper journal. And it just really helps getting, getting tasks done throughout the day. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? I I wouldn't allow myself to to think of it, but if it was, if it was something that would be in the, it would be in the blue collar small business space. What's an
0: interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: Well, I've, I've never had a boss. <laughs> I've essentially never had a job. I've always worked for myself. And finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? It has to be my, my family. I have a, a, a wife who is a travel and lifestyle blogger. So I spend most of my free time taking photos of her. And I have a three-year-old son who's obsessed with me. And um, that takes up all my spare time. Cool. And
0: uh, if people want to find out more about Sync, they can go to Sync, which is S- Inc. dot business that was interesting like you don't have a dot com domain right it's just all dot business right now
1: yeah we just we just went with dot business and you know it's it's worked for us and uh if people want to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do that linkedin send me a, a request on linkedin i i accept just about everyone
0: okay we'll uh we'll put a link in the show notes to that as well great well sam thank you for uh joining me and you know sharing your story and and the lessons that you guys have learned over the last couple of years i know it's probably coming to what it's around what 11 p.m for you in bahrain it is yeah yes <laughs> so i appreciate you staying up and you know i wish you and sam
1: all the best of success yeah i think it's been been a real pleasure and thank you so much for having me on all the best cheers thanks bye-bye
0: you've been missing that's the